Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to discuss what is expected of the part. Well... All right, Miles, let's just start with that. Well, what is expected of the part? And I know I've got the office next to you, so I overhear some of your phone calls. And I've heard you talk, have these conversations with our members, and they're always, always looking for the cheapest parts. And I can actually hear your blood pressure go up when you hear automotive. So cheap price is expected of the parts? Absolutely. And our members aren't looking for the cheapest price. Their customers are. And our members are trying to get some sanity in their procurement process. The real question is, what is expected of the part in subsequent processing and in final use? We're really on a fool's errand when we think that the goal is the cheapest part. That's not the, the point. The object of the act is to put a part into an application that's suitable for the use. Okay, and back when you were working in steel, didn't you help customers determine the best grade of steel to use? It was one of the favorite parts of the job. Shop owners and machinists get told what to run, make it out of this, with very little input on why or why not to use a particular grade of material for an application. All right, wait a minute. So shouldn't they get the chance for input? I mean, or is it just quote the job and pray things work out? Sadly, the need for prayer is a particularly important part in quoting, especially for automotive. They're just focused on cheap, not value. So I'm thinking that this is not a, how do we call it, a robust process? Exactly, Carly. There is a way to add value for your shop and your customer, it's called contract review. Contract review at the time of the initial quote provides an opportunity to make certain that the choice of the material makes sense for the ultimate function during end use, as well as provides the most economical choice for fabrication, including those last assembly steps at the customer. So that makes sense, so the customers are actually buying functionality. So suitability for end use should be the most important consideration. As opposed to only making the selection based on the per part piece cost, absolutely. Selection based on costs? Okay, so it's no secret today that the purchasing function at all major companies is based on minimizing costs. No, no shock there. And, I mean, you look at how many companies Walmart has put out of business. I mean, Vlasic Pickles, Rubbermaid, lowest price per piece, is a cruel race to the bottom when it ignores the real value being delivered. At first, it's easy to agree with the statement that we should select the material that provides us with the lowest cost. But this can be a very dangerous way to make such a selection. For example, Do we mean the lowest cost for the material to be made into a part? Do we mean the lowest cost for the parts themselves? Or do we mean the lowest cost that will meet the final performance requirements 
of the end user. And my brain just went <laughs> Okay, so there are more ways to look at it than I first thought. And the buyer, I get it, the buyer wants you to use the cheapest material. They don't want to pay more. You just nailed it, Carly. The lowest cost material may be cheaper on a per pound of material basis, but it could cost the shop dearly in increased time required to make each and every part. For many machine parts, the material cost component of a finished part is far less than the cost of the machine time, the value that we're adding by fabricating that part. Not to mention subsequent additional processes, heat treating, plating, anodizing. So it sounds like getting cheap material could actually force those other costs of production to double, maybe even triple. I mean, not to mention making processes more difficult to control and increasing time needed for setup and tool replacement. Right. The lowest cost for the parts themselves can mean that the material is selected to assure that the parts produced have all the known requirements met for delivery and at the most affordable price. This idea, too, is an easy one to support. What customer doesn't want the cheapest compliant parts delivered to their door? But just because the parts meet the explicit requirements of the print doesn't mean that they're really the best choice for the customer. How so? Several times in my career, I've been called to help solve the mystery of parts that were perfectly fine when they unpacked them. But after the customer starts to do final work, assembly, or that kind of thing, cracks magically appear. Usually these failures occur during a crimping, swaging, staking, or other cold work process. The parts were made out of a material that fully met the customer's stated or explicit requirements, met the spec. But the parts were still not suitable for the customer's process because they cracked during cold work, which was applied during the final operations at the customer. Cracking parts doesn't sound good. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Other examples can be materials selected for cosmetics at the expense of mechanical properties or materials selected for machinability at the expense of weldability. Selection based on performance at customer and by end user. This is why contract review is so important in our shops and at, at quoting time. Using highly machinable materials to get the lowest price per part from our machine shops does no one any good if those same parts fail in subsequent assembly steps because they won't weld or they crack during crimping. The fact is that some materials machine extremely well, reducing machining costs, but are not appropriate for subsequent cold work or assembly by welding. These are the kinds of things that should be considered during our contract review. So you're saying there are trade-offs that they affect cost as well as performance. You called it, Carly. Similarly, grades that machine well may be less than stellar performers for anodizing or other surface finish treatments. The lowest cost for parts that meet all stated and unstated but expected requirements can only be had if there is informed communication between the customer and the producing shop. 
Miles, I love it when we talk about the importance of communication. And this makes perfect sense. Do we really want? Who really wins? If we can get you very cheap parts by using cheap materials, will they be suitable? What if they aren't then? What did you save? Well, you got the quote. You won the quote. Yay! And, and now the headache. <laughs> and now the resolution <laughs> process. What did you save is another question entirely. Can we produce parts out of materials that will give the customer the lowest possible price per part delivered to them? Again, yes we can, but without further insight, those parts may have been optimized for lowest cost production by machining, but not really optimized for the customer's remaining processes, nor for the end use. The real question to be asked at the time of contract review is, what is expected of the part in subsequent processing and final use? The question is not, and should not, what is the lowest cost material to make the part? Okay, I think I see it. If there are other operations being done by the customer, those need to be taken into account too. And the buyer may be judged by low price paid, but the success of everyone, the end user, customer, and our shop as vendor, this is all dependent on the optimum parts for the entire life cycle. Carly, that's exactly right. Life cycle is the perfect description for this. If there are no subsequent operations for the part, then optimizing for lowest cost delivered might be appropriate. But if there is a requirement for further cold work in assembly, or for surface finishing, or heat treatment, then contract review to determine the suitability of the material that's been asked for, for that application is critical. If the supplier wants to maintain a zero defects and 100% on time reputation. What's that thing you say about zero defects? <laughs> oh yeah, customers tell me that they get parts that are zero defects and 100% on time from their ordinary suppliers. <laughs> That's it, ordinary suppliers. <laughs> we should all strive to be ordinary, Carly. And the way to get there is to have an open and honest contract review process, communicating needs, expectations, and facts, rather than a rush to quote a cheapest bid in the marketplace and let the consequences sort themselves out later. So even though we think we're quoting a job, in reality, we're creating a future. When we quote, if we don't consider design for manufacturing, we could experience big trouble. Contract review and design for manufacturing is not just about what happens in our shops. It is also about what happens when your customer gets the parts in theirs. And their customer, the end user, puts them to the task. There is more to contract review than winning quotes at the lowest price, no matter what they teach them in purchasing agent school. Having a process to discover and then meet all of the unknown requirements is the real secret to success in our contract manufacturing businesses. And that wraps up today's podcast on what is expected of the part Thank you for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org, where you can also search for articles, webinars, podcasts, and other resources.
Yes, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast because you don't want to miss one. And if you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see all we have to offer. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly? Because Because we we are are better better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles.